Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. I'm familiar with the Cahokia Mounds, which is on the other mm-hmm. side of the Mississippi in sure. Illinois across from St. Louis. 2,200 acres, 80 mounds. At one time there was about 120 man-made earthen mounds. Here's the big question. No matter where the mounds may be, where are the mound builders? Bingo. All of they them. They vanish. They absolutely vanish into thin air. In fact, you know, we've got, we've got reports when the first white settlers pressed into Ohio and they came upon the Great Circle Mound and the Octagon Mound, which we really get into in Episode 2 because that's where the advanced mathematics are, are employed. I mean, it's, it's bizarre when you really start drilling into what those sites, um, what's embedded in those sites. So the, the white settlers come across the First Nation people, and they see these, these um, huge mounds, and they go, well, well where, who built these? And according to you know, my research, they said, we don't know they were here when we got here. And what I find interesting is, just like in Peru with Sacsayhuaman, Sacsayhuaman is the largest, largest stone, 50, 80, 100 tons put together, and, and these are, these are andesite stones quarried about 40 miles away, brought to the site, and they are polygonal in shape, and they are fitted together absolutely perfectly, perfectly. And andesite is very hard, and thousands of years ago, the Inca only had copper chisels. You can't cut andesite with copper, so they didn't do it. Bottom line is, the Inca state on the record. We don't, same thing. We don't know who built it. It was here when we got here. We see this repeated there's a pattern here, George, and I don't, I don't understand exactly what I'm looking at yet, which is why, which is why we're on the trail, mm-hmm. which is why we're out in the field constantly and doing research, talking to people, trying to find out. But it's like the people just vanish. Uh, anthropologists and archaeologists will insist that, and this, this is what they say, and I say this with all due respect, but they'll tell us that Native Americans, First Nation people, built all these mounds, but then they just simply forgot that they had done so which in my way of thinking is incredibly insulting because First Nation people have oral tradition and they hold on to that tenaciously and that's passed down from one generation to the next. Exactly. Well, you know, and I would also say, L.A., you know, if there were several areas of mound builders that, you know, were gone, you'd say, well, you know, okay, something happened, a plague, some calamity, crops failed, they left. But not all of them. They're all all gone. It's, it's, it's really a mystery, and that's why we're on the trail. I mean, it really is a mystery. And then you start throwing in some of the, the Paleo-Hebrew or the Paleo-Phoenician that we've discovered. I'll just tip my hand to a later episode at American Stonehenge, and this was just a mind-blower. And they've got provenance for this. It's one thing to find an artifact or someone comes up with an artifact. Well, where did you find this? Well, I don't know. I got it from some guy who said he found it in a cave somewhere, okay? That's not provenance. But when you, when you have an artifact and you know exactly where it came from and you have eyewitnesses who have signed the affidavit stating it came from this over here, that's what we're looking for. And at America Stonehenge, there is such an artifact. And it's a stone with writing on it that when, when they did, uncovered this in, in one of the chambers at America Stonehenge in New Hampshire, no one knew what it was. No one knew what it was. They knew it was looked like some kind of writing, but no one could decipher it. Ten years later, a professor... A linguist looks at this thing and goes, that looks like Phoenician. And he starts doing some research and translates it. And this is where it goes off the rails for me. It says, to Baal of the Canaanites. Hmm. 
and that comes from the Middle East. That sure and does. That history as we know it. How many and mounds it, are there in North America? I, I have no idea. In terms of locations. I have no idea. I know that there's 10,000 alone in Ohio. So you start looking at, at the just abundance, the plethora of mounds that go from, you know, all the way up and, and, and by the Great Lakes all the way down. And, and you kind of wonder, it's like, there's not enough people here to do this. And, and it's, it's where, where are the, I get the whole crematoriums and what they, what they would do and, and burn the dead. And I get all that. And, and, and they did some of that, right? And they did some of that. Absolutely. But, there's there's just not enough people around here to do this. And when you start looking at, you mentioned Cahokia, the largest mound in America, and that that probably has upwards of 500,000 tons of earth, which now we're looking at about 250 miles of dump trucks end-to-end, end-to-end stacked up, 250 miles of dump trucks. And that's only one feature of Cahokia. I mean, when I was there and I talked to an archaeologist, the resident archaeologist that was there, and I always try to do this, try to hook up and, and, and just press against them to see what they know. And he told me, yeah, well, w- one of the things that we're still trying to figure out is how the heck could they level a 45-acre plaza within, let's say, two inches without a transit? Yep. How was how that done? And that's one of the uh, mysteries of Cahokia, which most people don't know. There's a 45-acre plaza, George, that's leveled within two inches. You'd be hard-pressed to do that today with bulldozers and everything else. L.A., what are some of the myths surrounding some of the mounds? I'm hearing stories of giant skeletons being discovered and things like that. What's well, there happening? are. Absolutely there are. And and this is when, um, this is just incredible. Because, again, in, in the historical records, you can go back, and, and, and when we press archaeologists on this, they'll say, oh, well, the papers were just trying to, to sell papers. The newspapers are just trying to sell papers. Well, they're, they're, come on now, guys. I mean, all of these stories, these are stories. And people would find 8, 9, 10, 12 footers in some of these mounds. They would call the Smithsonian. The Smithsonian would come in. They'd gather them up, and they would never be seen again. Look, my work on Catalina Island, and, and you know this, I mean, I discovered something that was never supposed to happen. I was never supposed to find this photograph. But I did. I found it, and I published it, and I had three people analyze the photograph. Since then, Catalina, um, well, let me back up. Basically, we discovered a nine-footer in situ, a photograph, a little five-by-seven black-and-white photograph showing Ralph Glidden standing in a recently excavated tomb, and in front of him is a skeleton in situ. And we had three guys look at this picture and ascertain camera placement, where it was, the height of Ralph Goodness, five foot eight. Lo and behold, it's a nine footer. This is all in the book, I'm a Child of the Nephilim. And we show some of this in the Mound Builders films as well. We show the, show that research because it's really important. When Richard Shaw and I went back to, to look at the museum and, and to kind of follow up on it six months after the book had been published, they had the photograph up on the wall, but they cropped the giant out of it. So we film there. And that went absolutely viral. That went viral all over the net. Since then, they have a new museum on Catalina, and they show the picture, they've blown it up, and the giant is still there. But they don't say anything about it. They don't say that you're looking at a a nine-footer. And look at the anomaly of the Mm -hmm. skull. So all this is there. It's a matter of historical record. Is there a cover-up here? I'm sorry, what? Is there a cover-up going on? Absolutely there's a cover-up going on, because it goes against the Darwinian paradigm. We are looking at, we are looking at, and look, Graham Hancock writes about this America before. The Vieira, you know, the Vieira brothers talked about it on their show. 
Hugh Newman talks about it. I mean, in fact, Jim and Hugh come in um, in, in Mathematical Mysteries of the Mound Builders. They weigh in uh, in the film. They're actually part of it, which is just fantastic. It was an honor to have them in the film. Um, you know, they have a slightly different paradigm than I do, but we all agree on something. that this, They were giants here, George. I mean, they were here, and this is being obfuscated and held back from the American people. Maybe that's why the mounds are so big, because they were made by giants. That's what we think. We we're, we're think we're looking, at, we're looking at supernatural means that were employed here. Um, we're not sure how it worked, but just like Saksiwaman in Peru, uh, whoever did this took the tools with them. The advanced mathematics that we see in these mounds uh, are, are just staggering. Uh, advanced trigonometry. There's a, there's a math professor, professor of mathematics, Dorothy Isley that comes on the record, and she's looking at the LIDAR uh, maps of the, the octagon and the circle mount in Newark, Ohio. And she's looking at them, and she's, and she's going, you know, and she says this on, on camera, that if to do this, you need a computer, you need a drafting board, you need something, you need to draw it out. And if it's one thing, you know, it's a small octagon. George, I stood in that thing. And when, you, when you're there, in the octagon mound, you have no idea what you're looking at. That's how big this thing is. You could fit the base of the Great Pyramid of, of, of Egypt inside the octagon mound in Newark, Ohio. That's how huge it is. It is just, and when you're there, you know you're looking at some kind of shape, but for the life of you, you don't know what it is. It's only when we flew a drone 800 feet up above the octagon, that's when we discovered that, oh, my gosh, look at these sides, and they're perfect. They're absolutely perfect, and it's a complex octagon, so it it, it becomes even more uh, mysterious. Because in order to do this, you got to check your work. Well, you can't check your work unless you're, you know, at least a hundred feet up or a couple hundred feet up. So how is that possible in the ancient world? What is you got the advanced trigonometry? What does your gut tell you, LA, in terms of what they were made for? Are they landing think, points? Are they marking points? What are they? These are gateways. There's no doubt about it. In fact, in in the uh, in the new film Secrets of the Supernatural, Voices from the Other Side, we drill into the Mayan elders coming up to the Serpent Mound and these other sites, and they do that because they know that they're gateways. Chief Joseph Riverwind again makes a strong connection that these are gateways, and they these gateways um, demanded human sacrifice, and we know that human sacrifice was practiced at some of these sites. We know that for a fact. They have found altars. At, at the Great Circle Mound, um, the evidence of shamans, evidence of cremation, all all this. Um, we know that, that the Mayans did the same thing, the Inca did the same thing. Chichen Itza, again, the, the, the serpent, it's always the serpent. 50,000 people ritualistically slaughtered on altars. America Stonehenge, huge altar there. We know that, we believe anyway, that that altar was a sacrificial altar. There's a place for the blood to be collected. Um, these are gateways. They are portals. They are gateways that allow these entities to interface with this reality. And that might sound strange, but that's the whole point of, of episode three. And what we discovered there was just incredible. We actually had the, we had the North Paranormal Group with us, and I and I don't want to I tip my hand. Well, that's a later show, you know, in the in the not too distant future, right. hopefully. But what they, what they were uncovering, and I had no idea what these little gadgets were. But they were uncovering stuff. We we actually had an, an encounters while we were there. But we talked to a to a pastor who was uh, stationed in, in Newark, Ohio, and he talks about coming in 
to this home, and again, this is episode three, getting way ahead of myself here, coming into a home, and the table is levitating off the floor, George. Jeez. Yeah, oh. he sees that. How do you so explain that? All sorts of crazy stuff. Well, that's the, that's the whole idea. There's all sorts of crazy stuff going on with this. Um, these are gateways. These are portals to allow um, these ancient ones in, the fallen angels. To other dimensions, okay. other universes? Absolutely. What do you think? I think that they are, in my opinion, these are the return of the fallen angels. The First Nation people will call them the sky gods because yep. they came from the sky. But these, these are the fallen angels, and they come with power, um, and they come with all sorts of uh, the ability to manipulate space, time, matter, and energy. And eventually we're going to take this whole series on the trail of the Nephilim, and this is what we're going to be starting to allude to, that the same thing is happening in modernity, but the, 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 it's, it's slightly changed. And this is where we get into the whole UFO phenomenon. Let's uh, talk a little bit about that. But first, why is 18.5 lunar cycles so important here? Well, this is, this is what's interesting. These sites, many of them, America Stonehenge for one, and the Octagon Mount and the Great Circle Mount in North Ohio, both are built on an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle. And what was interesting, the first time I went to America Stonehenge, which was several years ago, I walked in, and I, I'm meeting with Dennis Stone, and there's a little um, a little room where you go in and you watch this, this really well-produced film. Um, it tells you about the, the site that you're about to visit. And they talk about the 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle. And I go rushing out of the room and go, Dennis, 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 are you aware that the Newark Circle Mount and the, and the Octagon Mound is also built? on an 18-and-a-half-year cycle, as well as the serpent mount. He didn't know that at that time. And what this means, look, in order to do that, for for your listeners to understand, someone has to track the moon daily. They have to look at it and then somehow record it on something to be able to figure out what an 18-and-a-half-year lunar cycle really is. Because the moon waxes and wanes. It, it like, travels up and down from our viewpoint. So now we've got something that's really, really complex, how was this done? My gosh. Yeah, you could do it in modernity. We've got computers and crafting tables and all this stuff. I get it. But, you know, you go back a couple of thousand years ago, or like America Stonehenge 4,000 years ago, how the heck was this done? You know, who's, who's watching this thing for 18 and a half years, and why was it done? And then why create these sites like, like Stonehenge, England? Why not just, you know, put a few sticks in the ground and be done with it? There have you, been... You know, you, Go ahead. No, I mean, with, with sticks in the ground, you can get exactly the same thing. No, they're dragging all these rocks around, and their precision is, is just remarkable. Same thing with America Stonehenge. They are absolutely precise. And what we just, what Dennis showed us there, he's never showed anybody else, and I won't tip my hand. That will come out a little bit later in the year uh, because this series is episodic. But what we discovered there, George, Fritz Zimmerman was there with me, and Fritz and I looked at each other, and Fritz just said, oh, my gosh, the center of the world. And I'll just leave it at that. Kind of wet everybody's appetite. It blew us absolutely out of the water. It blew our minds, what Dennis showed us. They have had some incredible UFO sightings in southern Illinois, specifically in January of 2000, where police officers even witnessed these things. All, you know, not too far from Cahokia. Kind of weird. These sites... Uh, and this is why we're delving into it, and this is why eventually we'll be bringing in the whole UFO phenomenon, because these craft, lights, orbs, all sorts of stuff, angelic beings, light beings, are, are reported in and around these sightings. 
there's this one one place which we visited, which is near the, uh, it's up by Lake Titicaca on the border of Peru and Bolivia, Amuramura, and we filmed there. And there's this, there's this, there's like a doorway that's cut into the rock. When we were there, we talked to the docent. And, and I asked the docent through our interpreter, I said, you know, what, what, what is this? What is this doorway? How does this work? And he told me on camera that shamans come in and they do ceremonies, prayers, rituals, whatever, and they open the doorway. And then later on I asked him, this is in episode three, I asked him, I said, look, what, uh, have you seen light beings come out? He said, yes, yes. My, my parents saw light beings come out of the doorway. And, and, you know, look, all sorts of stuff happens around these places. These are gateways, and the shamans know how to open them. If you were an extraterrestrial, L.A., <laughs> and you knew by spectrographic looking at our planet from afar that, you know, there's life there. We can tell. Uh, it emits the principles of life. We know there's mm-hmm. life there. Mm-hmm. And if you had the technology, would you come to this planet? To explore? Well, to, to your point, yes. I, w- I would definitely well, check I'd, it out. I would, too. But Yeah, I would, too. But I don't see, I believe, and I, I talked about this at, at, at the UFO conference up in Arkansas, and the one that you, you were um, at, I, I missed you by a couple of days, uh, the one in Vegas. Right. Uh, or Laughlin, Laughlin, Nevada, right? Laughlin, yeah. And what, what kind of blows me away, I think that this whole thing is holographic. I really do. Really? I think we're in a, a holographic universe. Um, and I have, I have, you know, ancient prophetic texts that point to that, where, you know, Father God's going to roll up this thing like a scroll. Well, that, is that allegory or is that literal? And I think it's literal. Um, these, these entities pop in, they pop out. They manipulate space, time, matter, and energy. I don't think they're from another planet. I think they're interdimensional, and they come in, and they want to be worshipped. And this, this is why these mm-hmm. sites were there. This is why they created these sites, and these entities come in, they are worshipped for a time, they set up shop, and then they disappear. And we're not sure why and, they, and how. And they all leave. All of them. All of them. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.